Hi, Mary. What you been doing? If you listen to this show, you know what we do after big Mueller news. I just thought I'd spend, like, the best part of my year <laughs> devoted to <laughs> watching, watching Mueller testimony. I talked to Slate's Dolly Lithwick. Before the hearings happened, you wrote this article that was like a curtain lifter. You called these hearings a game of chicken between chickens. <laughs> Why? Partly because the image was so hilarious to me that I couldn't let it go. My sense was that this was going to be a kind of standoff where House Democrats and Mueller were each going to try to play this game of chicken where somebody was going to say, OK, I'm taking responsibility. And in a weird way, they were both too chicken to do that. <laughs> what Was it a game of chicken between chickens or was it something else? I, I mean, it depends on, I think, what your deliverable is. And I've never used that word in a sentence, but I'm going to I'm just wacky after hours of testimony. But I think if you expected a, a whole lot of hearts and minds to watch this, you know, sort of summer movie spectacular with the helicopters and the blowing up, like, no, that didn't happen. Did anyone really think that was going to happen? I, I don't know. But I think in the aggregate, the, the, the highlights reel, at least on the Democratic side, they said what they needed to say. They got the big findings of the Mueller report out on the record, and he didn't fight them about those findings. So it's not a summer blockbuster. It's maybe like an art house film. Right. It's a that French gets an film. Oscar. <laughs> in black and white with hats and lots of like rain and crying. Today on the show, Dolly's going to translate this art house film for the rest of us. I'm Mary Harris. You are listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. There was this one moment that, to me, kind of encapsulated the whole thing, which is during the first half of the day, Representative Ted Lieu made a really big deal about confronting Robert Mueller and trying to pin him down on why he didn't indict Donald Trump. And he kept asking him a lot of questions and, and he he landed on, you know, the reason again that you did not indict Donald Trump is because of the OLC opinion, this opinion from the Department of Justice that a sitting president cannot be indicted. Mueller said that is correct. And on its face, it seems pretty simple, but it became a firestorm. Right. Everybody went crazy. Did Ted Lieu just get him to say that that OLC memo was the but-for cause of not indicting? And it looked like that's what he said. And I'd like to ask you, the reason, again, that you did not indict Donald Trump is because of OLC opinion stating that you cannot indict a sitting president, correct? Uh, that is correct. The fact that... And we should be super clear that the the reason why this got people so 
like excited because you had Preet Bharara saying this is a big deal. You had Neil Katyal, who was the former solicitor general, saying this was a big deal. The reason why is because the implication is that if this rule wasn't in place, I would have indicted. Yep. So basically, I think he can be prosecuted for all of the reasons that I laid out in the report, right? Right. And that was, I mean, I think Mueller has been very clear on other occasions that he wasn't willing to go quite that far. And so the idea that, you know, Ted Lieu had extracted from him this admission that had there been no OLC memo or were Donald Trump not the sitting president, no doubt in my mind uh, I would have indicted. That seemed like a big, big shift in the narrative. And so you're quite right. Everybody went bonkers. Um, during the lunch break, I turned onto the cable news and everyone was talking about this, like this is the moment and it's going to change everything. And he's going to have to come out and you know say something if we're getting it wrong, because the way I'm reading it is that he's basically saying I would have indicted the president. And then, of course, we come back after lunch. Robert Mueller sits down to testify and one of the first things he does is says, oh, oh, by the way, all that stuff people are talking about on cable news. Yeah, I didn't mean to say that. Right. He, he even before he took questions, he said, before we get to questions, I want to go back to one thing that was said this morning by Mr. Liu, who said, and I quote, you didn't charge the president because of the OLC opinion. End quote. That is not the correct way to say it. As we say in the report, as I said at the opening, we did not reach a determination as to whether the president committed a crime. So he has been saying and he said earlier that the, the word choice he used earlier in the hearing was we decided not to decide, which is really different from, you know, but for this, we would have decided. I, it, it seems like it's splitting hairs, but it means that, yes, Mary, the biggest gotcha moment of the entire day didn't happen. And for me, I thought this is the whole thing because we're all trying to have a gotcha moment. He doesn't do that. Right. Right. And, you know, what, what, what was a little bit of a bummer is that in that same back and forth with Lou, he was actually like Lou walked him through the elements of obstruction and he absolutely copped to, yes, this element, there are three, you know, three elements to obstruction. He, so I think it's, it's one of those frustrating and, things. Uh, based on uh, the evidence that we have heard today, I believe a reasonable person could conclude that at least three crimes of social injustice by the president occurred. We're going to hear about two additional crimes that would be the witness tamperings of Michael Cohen and Paul Manafort. All that, I yield uh, back. The only thing I want to add is that I'm going through the elements with you did not mean or does not mean that I subscribe to uh, the, uh, what you're trying to prove through those elements. The time of the gentleman is expired. In our desire to have the great big flaming helicopter crash, we actually missed the French art house movie, which is these are the three elements of obstruction. This is an example. Did this happen? Yes, correct. Yes. So we kind I think they literally had like check marks on a screen. Yeah, like check, yeah, check, yeah, check, yeah. check. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. I think that's what we missed for in the desire to sort of see somebody's head, you know, explode. And and so in a weird sense, I also think that that very last back and forth with Adam Schiff at the end of the Intelligence Committee had that same sort of gentle, I love your art house film, I'm just going to use it forever, but that sort of gentle, windswept, rainy, like goodbye at the like seaport. It had that same feeling of it was very sad and underwhelming, but I think it was actually powerful and kind of critical. Apart from the Russians wanting to help Trump win, Several individuals associated 
with the Trump campaign were also trying to make money during the campaign and transition. Is that correct? That is true. Paul Manafort was trying to make money or achieve debt forgiveness from a Russian oligarch? Generally, that is accurate. Michael Flynn was trying to make money from Turkey? True. Donald Trump was trying to make millions from a real estate deal in Moscow? To the extent you're talking about the, uh, the uh, hotel in uh, Moscow? Yes. Yes. When your investigation looked into these matters, numerous Trump associates lied to your team, the grand jury, and to Congress? number uh, of persons that we interviewed in uh, our investigation, it turns out, did lie. Mike Flynn lied. It doesn't have to be a crime and to be bad. Like, what Schiff is just saying is that this is just sad and sick that we excuse anything but that. I thought it was really, like, like roll credits, man. So the first hearing was all about obstruction of justice. The Judiciary Committee, is this the committee that would start impeachment hearings? Yes. So led by Jerry Nadler. And what's interesting to me going into this is that there's some evidence that Jerry Nadler has a very different opinion about impeachment and its role than, for instance, Nancy Pelosi. And so that's stakes going in. Jerry Nadler wants fireworks. Jerry Nadler wants to, he's going in with something to prove. And he started out, and for me, I was like, this is like the karate kid. Like, he started out, and he was, like, really boxing Mueller into a corner, you know, asking him question after question. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. This could go somewhere. Director Mueller, the president has repeatedly claimed that your report found there was no obstruction and that it completely and totally exonerated him. But that is not what your report said, is it? Correct. That is not what the report said. But over the course of the hearing, it felt like it fell into this kind of familiar pattern of Democrats trying to make a case and Republicans grandstanding a little bit. But I wonder I wonder how you saw it. I think a couple things. I actually thought I thought Nadler was amazing. I thought his uh, opening colloquy was incredible. And he, that's where we got those admissions, those initial blockbuster. You know, I never said no collusion. I never said he was uh, completely exonerated. So the report did not conclude that he did not commit obstruction of justice. Is that correct? That is correct. And what about Those were really crucial moments for all the reasons you just said. I think a little bit of what happened is that Democrats had this plan going in. And I think they were hoping that Mueller was just going to read chunks of the report into the record. And then, you know, your word. Which he literally would not do. He declined. He'd be like, no, you read it. <laughs> and so I think there was this weird, they had thought at minimum, if we can't get fireworks, at least we will have, you know, for the purposes of late night television, like hours of him reading into the record the thing that people didn't bother with. Audiobook. And, and that didn't happen. And so then they were very slow to pivot and to realize that there's just no point in saying, can you read page 87 footnote three? That seemed to take a while for them to cotton on that that strategy was going to fail. And so I do think you did get this sense of pulling teeth, right? One person after another trying to get him to either read directly from the report or to amplify something that he'd written in the report. And every single time he was just like, that's ah, outside of my purview, not going to answer. Director Mueller, why did the president of the United States want you fired? Uh, I can't answer that question. Well, 
on, on page 80. A, a friend of mine who does nothing but take depositions made the point that if you are taking an all-day deposition, there's not going to be an aha moment. There's just Because there's too much time to fill? Most of your questions are going to just be mind-numbingly dull process. Get it on the record. Get it on the record. And so if you're used to that, this wasn't disappointing. I hmm. think if you wanted the Michael Cohen hearing with like the craziness and all the accusations and the shouting, this wasn't that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to have you phrase it like that because it's like I feel like we keep looking for what it's going to be. You know, we went in thinking, oh, maybe it'll be the audiobook version. But it wasn't that either. It was really much more like a deposition, like a legal, very legalistic hearing. Um, the other thing we have to talk about is Mueller's appearance, because he wasn't saying a lot. And he came across as old. Yeah. I think that was the surprise. Again, for all the people who'd been lighting candles and, you know, doing the advent calendar, like this was this was a pretty sobering performance. Certainly he was having trouble hearing. Yeah, he seemed like he was hard of hearing. We had folks telling us that it was hard to hear generally in the room, but he was clearly struggling uh, to hear and he was struggling to remember. I think that he made it plain that, you know, he had not committed 448 pages to memory and that there were things that he didn't have perfect command of. And so I do think that he did come across. And already, you know, the Trump campaign is fundraising on, you know, he's a doddering old man and the deep state just, you know, used him to their own nefarious ends. And so that will be one of the stories that's told. There's no question that he was not as commanding as we've seen, you know, in, when he used to uh, testify in prior years and he was much more in command of facts and much more assertive and much more nimble. But I think that despite all that, there is a part of this that is also just this is the good soldier who was scrupulously careful that he wasn't going to say anything wrong. And he was not, by the way, going to be used by either side to score points. I think the best evidence I have of that is that the several times where he was asked directly about the thing that's breaking his heart, which is Russia stole an election. It, he said it's happening now. It's going to happen again. They're going to do it again. Um, in your investigation, did you think that this was a single attempt by the Russians to get involved in our election? Or did you find evidence to suggest they'll try to do this again? Oh, it wasn't a single attempt. Uh, they're doing it as we sit here. And they expect to do it uh, 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 during the, the next campaign. And those are the moments that he comes to life, right? That's the thing he wants to bring to life is that I have a whole volume <laughs> that you all seem to have ignored while you're trying to score points off each other about whose fault it is. Those were the moments where I thought if you get him on something that he deeply cares about, that isn't just politics, that is, in fact, national security, he kind of was a different person. Lunchtime, everyone takes a break, and then we come back, and we have part two, and this time it's the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, and their focus is supposed to be the first part of the Mueller report. The idea is to focus on Russia and how Russia interfered in the election. And again, it starts, I think, very strongly where you have Adam Schiff kind of boxing Mueller into a corner. Is this a witch hunt, your investigation? No, it's not a witch hunt. It's really the most engaged I think we'd seen Mueller the whole day at that point. I think 
I've probably said this even on this show four times, but it's just so vital to remember how this started. This started as this counterintelligence investigation. That was his original charge. The obstruction stuff comes about because, you know, presumably Trump and his Confederates are trying to block that inquiry. But this is, you know, and this is why Adam Schiff has been saying from the beginning, this is about, you know, national security. Are we compromised? This is about free and fair elections. You know, this is not just tit for tat, you know, who is bad, who is lying. And so that's, I think, in a sense, not only does he have a better rapport with Schiff, because this is kind of what the guts of the thing was for him. And as I said, I think the guts of him is that point he kept making, which is I've never seen in all my career a more serious violation of national security. And when Donald Trump called your investigation a witch hunt, that was also false, was it not? I'd like to think so, yes. Well, your investigation is not a witch hunt, is it? It is not a witch hunt. When the president said the Russian interference was a hoax, that was false, wasn't it? True in a whole day where nobody's kind of dancing together, like one person is Bumbo and one person is like Lombada and they never can like sync up. And those are the moments, I think, with Schiff where you feel, ah, there's this very strong rapport where they're kind of parrying each other and and almost finishing each other's sentences that it becomes clear this is the heart of the thing that is killing him, is that this has happened. Nobody disputes, you know, Devin Nunes can scream till the cows come home about like the deep state and about these like steel dossier things, it does not change the fact and no one disputes the fact Russia interfered with the election. And so I think in a sense, the second hearing is stronger because Mueller's, first of all, more confident on the ground that he's on. Uh, But I think that the answer to it that the Republicans have, which is just more screaming about the deep state, doesn't mollify Anybody. It doesn't solve the problem. Hmm. And it's interesting to me because Schiff really did tie together. He was saying, here's what happened with Russia, and here's why it mattered that the president and his crew were involved. And and and, and it was done for money. You know, that was the thing that he kept, you know, coming back to coming back to is this wasn't done because of some, you know, lofty, it's just money. You know, the Democrats were trying to get Robert Mueller to reiterate his findings. Were the Republicans questioning anything he found? Well, no, that was the interesting thing. I mean, what what I heard over and over again was them questioning things he didn't find. There is collusion in plain sight. Collusion between Russia and the Democratic Party. The Democrats colluded with Russian sources to develop the Steele dossier. And Russian lawyer Natalia Vesnoskaya colluded with a dossier's key architect, Fusion GPS head Glenn Simpson. To me, what was so weird is that what the Republicans were super focused on, and I think it's integral to the whole deep state story, is why didn't you do the thing that if you had done it, I could prove that you mm-hmm. were part of this, like, elaborate conspiracy that Hillary Clinton triggered to, like, spy, quote unquote, on Donald Trump. And so I think it was a very weird, like, those questions, if you live in that world, like, if you start from the predicate that all of those deep state stories are true, 
then all of their questions make perfect sense, right? And so do all their conclusions, which is, of course, Donald Trump was mad at this entire hoax and was trying to fire everybody. That was rational. But if you don't live in that world, then you're seeing them essentially construct a theory of the case that is based on stuff that didn't happen. And so you're quite right. There wasn't a lot of questioning about the actual findings. It was just that the sort of substructure under the findings is illegitimate. And if you only knew and believed what Devin Nunes knew and believed, you would have had a different investigation. And by the way, it would have ended with Hillary Clinton in jail. Let's just agree. So I think that was that was what I heard from the Republicans, not so much on the merits, but just an attempt to sort of nitpick the process, the way this came about or the things that he didn't do or the witness he didn't question or the part of the, you know, questioning that didn't make it into the report, an attempt to sort of seed this idea that there's this whole other story he wasn't telling. I watched these hearings and I felt like they were so hard to follow. They were deep in it and doing important work, as you said, almost like a deposition, getting into the nitty gritty, getting Robert Mueller on the record saying really important stuff. But it didn't work as a narrative. And it worried me and it worried me because that puts so much pressure on people like you and me. And I flipped on the cables midway through And instantly, people were talking about Robert Mueller's performance and this is a disaster. This is a horrible thing. And I thought, hold up. Mueller was being Mueller. Mueller was Mullering. We knew this. So that means now he's passing us the baton, not to freak out and report our emotions, (laughs) but to report what he actually said. And I guess afterwards, I was so frustrated with the coverage with my fellow journalists and how they responded instantly that, well, this won't move the needle. And I thought like, well, uh, hold on. (laughs) This just happened. We have a job here. I think that what's hard right now is that you're looking at a a day in which in your view, in my view, you know, the, the special counsel just said, in effect, All three elements of obstruction were there time after time after time. And what Fox News is reporting is that crazy old man overmastered by deep state brings a witch hunt and it's finally over. So the media's, you know, you're right. It's part of the solution. It's also part of the problem. And Mm -hmm. that's new. That is new. Dahlia Lithwick, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Dahlia Lithwick reports on the courts and hosts the Amicus podcast here at Slate. All right, that's the show. If you are hungry for more Mueller, but you want the more comedic highlights from yesterday's testimony, head on over to The Gist. That is where Mike Pesca is breaking it all down, just like we do every weekday. This show is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. And I'm Mary Harris. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You're never going to get these hours back. I will never. When I go to heaven, I'm going to ask. These are the hours I will ask to get (laughs) returned. I'm going to, like, spend them at, like, Baskin-Robbins instead. But they're (laughs) lost to us.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.